Welcome to the In Contention Podcast. I am your host, Matt Cranstuber, with Joey Pasco. Hey, everybody. And Ruben Bressler. Ruben? Ruben? Ah, it appears as Ruben uh, may be on a bender after Star City Games Minneapolis. So for now, me and Joey are going solo. Yeah, I, I guess uh, I, I can't blame him for seeing uh, two Jace's Phantasms on the board in Legacy. I mean, I mean, he saw it live, like it was right in front of him. <laughs> I, I, I can see how that would affect you. You know, just fell out of his chair, and he, he hasn't been the same. Hasn't been talking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Star City Games, in contention is the official podcast of the StarCityGames.com Open Series, and this weekend the Open Series comes to Portland, Oregon. With $10,000 prize pools in the standard and legacy opens. If you can't be, be there, be sure to tune in to scglive.com and catch Patrick Sullivan and Cedric Phillips. Wow, that's a good combination. Bringing you all the action with Glenn Jones on the sideboard. The Twitter hashtag for the weekend is scgport, like we're shot in port, so you can use that to join in the discussion. If you can't make it out, be sure to check out the Invitational Qualifier Tournament Series near you. Go to the StarCityGames.com Open Series page for a complete listing at StarCityGames.com slash open underscore series. So, man, I would love to be there that weekend. That is a – actually, I should say maybe it's a good weekend not to be there with such a good uh, commentating team yeah. on, the, on the bill. So Those two guys uh, have paired up before, and people really seem to, uh, really seem to like that pair. So it nice. should be a really good team to watch. And uh, – yeah, and Glenn in the sideboard, so pretty exciting weekend. For but, uh, sure. So we got some we got some good stuff to talk about, and uh, something that uh, we are particularly excited about is we have been given a official, in contention, exclusive Return to Ravnica preview card, which is uh, obviously we're extremely elated to to have that. So we have some Return to Ravnica spoiler discussion in the wake of the Return to Ravnica party that they had out at PAX in Seattle. Uh, of course, we if you if you're on Twitter, you probably were looking at many pictures with Envy in the wake of the Players Championship and PAX. There's just a lot of stuff going on over there in the West Coast. And uh, so we're going to go over our spoiler, then we're going to talk a little bit about the Players Championship that happened this past week. And then we're going to dive in uh, to the results of the Star City Games Open Series in Minneapolis. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, the Ravnica party that happened at PAX this past weekend. Yeah, definitely. This uh, was yeah, wow. I mean, what what an insane like uh, early early in the day on it was Saturday. They people were tweeting that there was this long line out at PAX that people were waiting for this party. Very sort of uh, not not a lot of details around what was going on here, but all we knew is that Morrow and Air Forsyth and all those guys over at Wizards says that you know this is going to be a big deal. Stay tuned for Saturday because you're going to get your socks rocked off. And uh, so that that was sort of the build up going into this event, and we saw, of course, you know all the players from the Players Championship that uh, or most of them tried to stick around so that they could could go to PAX. So. We saw them all getting involved and, and people like Marshall getting invites and sort of all this buildup until the, the event itself kicked off. And I've never seen a more cool marketing effort than the Return of Ravnica party. Um, yeah, yeah. They've, they've been doing this, uh, this kind of thing at PAX for a few years now. Uh, my, 
the earliest one I remember is the Scars block, the Scars of Mirrodin. Uh, oh, yeah. Because yeah. they, they debuted Venser and Elspeth and Mox Opal. Like, that's what I remember. And ever since then, not only have they, you know, been continuing it because it seems like a hugely popular uh, thing, but it seems like they stepped it up. Last year they had the, uh, you know, the, the one for Innistrad and then this year for return to Ravnica. Um, I'm trying to remember, did they have something like this for Zendikar? And I kind of vaguely have an idea that maybe they did, but it, I, I don't remember for sure. Um, either way, like they, they make this huge party. They had rooms for each guild, apparently, or just areas for each guild. And even the food was matched to it. So like the meat was, was either in Rakdos or Gruul or something. And uh, Selesnia had like cauliflower and broccoli and things and it's just even the food matched the guilds and uh it just seems like i i feel like i have to i have to go to one of these one day oh i know yeah i i couldn't i couldn't be more envious of the people over in the west coast to to go to this event you're in um just a uh, we'll put a link to the pax party 2012 coverage or you know with the pictures and stuff that they had so you can check it out but um you know, each guild for Ravnica has its own identity and they created these, each room had its own theme, right? So um, the, the uh, Demir, of course, they're saying is like this, this mysterious, you know, nobody knows anything about Rakdos is the, uh, you know, these crazy, like, you know, bondage and, and torture and all this stuff. And uh, so, so each guild had its own identity and then each room had these giant, sized spoilers yeah. so if you went into the azorius room it was decked out in, in azorius attire and then you know they had a spoiler card up on the wall so it was it was really cool to uh you know uh, there was a guy mtg color pie who i was sort of relying on for all of my updates and anytime <laughs> he'd walk here. into a room yeah he would like snap a shot of a, of a card and I'm like oh my gosh that's amazing like that's that's a really cool card so that's uh Again, that, that was a really cool bit of marketing that they did, and uh, I'm definitely, uh, I'm I'm definitely behind that 100. percent I don't know like what all that cost to, to to rent all that out, but they they are pulling out all of the stops to yeah. uh, market Ravnica. Yeah, actually, you just reminded me. Uh, you know, they part of the way they're previewing these cards, or the main way I think they're showing us these cards is through these giant poster-sized versions of the cards. And, well, two things. One, that's why I remember Zendikar being at PAX, because I remember there was an image of Arid Mesa. So there mm. was a Zendikar PAX party, just just to go back to that comment. But uh, from outside the windows, I think Robbie, uh, MTG Color Pie, was tweeting pictures where you could see that Shocklands are confirmed in Return to Ravnica or in, in this block. In fact, they even showed the Simic land, which Simic isn't coming until Gatecrash. Mm-hmm. So Breeding Pool was shown. So we've actually got a confirmed Gatecrash card um, already. Uh, but yeah, the Shocklands, as everybody sort of suspected, but I was still very excited to have 100% confirmed the Shocklands are returning. And, and the new art is just awesome. So you, you won't have to feel bad about getting these versions uh, it's not like, you know, when you, when you get a duel in a, in a normal set and then buy it in a base set, you're, you always kind of feel, you're always wanting, right. Or, or planeswalker. These, these look really, really cool. Yeah. I love that they, they did some new artwork, uh, for a couple of reasons. 
Uh, one being, if you prefer the new artwork, then awesome. Then here's this other artwork that you like. If you prefer the old artwork, then you can trade the guys your new artwork ones for the old ones. You know, I, I personally like the old ones. So I'm like, hey, I'm glad I didn't dump all mine. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. So that's that's obviously huge news. Um, I think we've probably been talking about it enough in the community that nobody's really surprised um, to see the Shocklands come back. And not just that, I think that mana bases have already been good enough in the past few years that I don't know how big of a change this is going to be from the standard that we see that has fast lanes and things. So I think it's really kind of balance out the fact that we don't have fast lanes uh, alongside obviously the M10 and Innistrad lands. They are insanely good. I don't know if people have, have played the M10 lands alongside dual lands before, but it, 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 it the interaction is just, it, it's so much different than having a fast lane. So I think there's going to be a little bit of difference, but I don't want to talk too much about the shocklands. I want to talk about some of these other guild cards that that we have in the spoiler here, which you know we could probably talk for hours on just what they spoiled over at PAX. So uh, you know, rather than do that, let's let's talk about maybe um, how about a, a couple of the new mechanics so we can dive into that, and then if we want to, uh, or I also shouldn't say if we want to, when we do our spoiler cast, we can talk about the rest of the cards in the uh, context of our. Con- uh, constructed format. So sounds good. So so we were just on the topic of lands. While we're on the topic of lands, one of the new mechanics that I thought was pretty cool was uh, these gates. Yeah, so this, we've got one gate spoiled, and obviously we know it is very likely to be a cycle of the guilds. Uh, each guild getting a gate. So we've got Golgari Guild Gate. It is a land gate. It's a common. Enters the battlefield tapped, and you can tap it for a black or a green. Um, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, just a very basic uh, mana fixer, and it's a common. It's great for limited, but the fact that it's a gate is relevant because that is a mechanic that is going to show up on some of the cards. I believe there's a. I'm going to find it. It's a gate crasher. It's, I think it's called. It's an O2 Gate Creeper Vine. That's yeah, a Gate Creeper Vine. Yeah, good. Why don't you read that one? Okay, so we got a green card spoiler. It's a zero two for one and a green it's a plant with defender but when he enters the battlefield you could search your library for a basic land card or a gate card and put it into your hands so it's sort of like a super sylvan uh or is it sylvan messenger i believe that searches for a basic land card so uh this this guy's pretty good he, he searches up well right now he searches up dual lands you don't really have any other non-basic gate lands yet besides just these the, the common print run so yeah, it's just I think it's a really neat way to fix mana in limited. This is another common. So you've got uh you've got your choice of whatever basic land you need. If you're playing you could be playing Golgari and not have the gate and so you get a swamp. Or, you know, playing Golgari and you can sw- search for your uh your Golgari uh gate, I guess I guess is the the whole thing. I, I think it's right. a, it's a really interesting kind of idea to kind of uh introduce non Karoo uh, <laughs> mana fixers in Ravnica because that was something that we had in the original Ravnica and uh, the Karoo lands or the bounce lands as some people refer right. to them as uh, they were excellent. They were excellent in standard uh, as well. And uh, I- I'm glad to see that wizard says, okay, well we're bringing them the shock lands back. Let's not just bring entire yeah. Ravnica back again. I think that's a I think that's a good move, and and I I like these lands with super types. You know, of course, in Plane Shift we saw the layers, and uh, th- those were good in the context of Invasion Limited. 
of course, you know, these lands are far better and the tri lands are far better than those lands. Um, and then we have lands like loci that have, you know, their own subtype that interact with each other. So I think that introducing gates as a mechanic, as long as we see things that, you know, search up gates, put them into play, you know, a la, um, the, uh, the, the snow cover, the snow covered land searcher spell, we may see like a, a rampant growth type effect. Um, you know, there's, a, there's already a guy, there's a, a black card that was spoiled. That's uh, he's actually not that good. He's, he's a four drop, uh, black and three for a four, four that has defender. But if you have a gate, then he can attack. So yeah, like, that's kind of cool. I like got another way around. Like there might be something where if defending player controls, no gates or controls a gate, then this creature can't attack or something like that. Like maybe sure, the gate sure. is getting in the way or something, or you have somebody who is some sort of, uh, guy who picks locks or something and can get through the gates like gate walk. I mean, yeah, I, don't gate know. Walk. Like if I like it. If gateless, they, gutless zombie, gateless zombie. Yeah. Something, something like that. It would be kind of interesting. It's a whole new thing to play with. And, uh, I like well, and of concept. course, with the next set being Gate Crash, I'm sure we're, that's not the last time we're going to be seeing gates uh, as a card type. So, yeah, that's be, a uh, good point. And also, it should be noted that Gate Crash is a standalone set, so we may see yet another variant on the gate. You know, a comes into play tab lane. I'm, I certainly will probably see this exact printing for the other gates, right? Or or or, would, or maybe if it's not in theme for the set, maybe they're totally different. I, mean, I don't know if they if they would unbalance it like that. So you you think maybe uh, that they would have gates that didn't have this pretty much you know comes into play tapped adds two colors. You think? Like- uh, may, maybe they maybe they need to keep it symmetrical. If they're doing the shock lands and you want to probably have the full cycle of these. Yeah. If, if, if they were allied and not allied and they were different, I could get behind that. But given that the allied and not allied guilds are sort of mixed together in the same set. I don't think that that's feasible, but they could do that uh, in, in the, in sinker, right? I think because sinker, oh yeah, yeah. sinker is supposed to have all 10 guilds. So that's going to give them the opportunity to, uh, to kind of play with this if they, if they want. And I think that would be awesome. So, so let's talk about another mechanic that was spoiled over the weekend, an Azorius mechanic, which oh, is it's my favorite. It's very interesting. We actually have a few Azorius cards now and the mechanic, I, it is a really good, I think, limited mechanic. And uh, depending on if we f- see like a face fetters variant of, or, or, or a card that is like that, we, it may be able to come over to Constructed. The, the card that I'm going to talk about here is called Lave. And I highly, I highly doubt that, I'm, or uh, I don't think I'm pronouncing that correctly. It's Lave Sky Knight. It costs one white and a blue for a 3-1 flyer. And when it enters the battlefield, you can detain target non-land permanent on opponent controls. And uh, the subtext on that is until your next turn, that permanent cannot attack, block, and its or and its abilities uh, can't be activated. Activated blends can't be activated. So you're you if this, once the scanner enters the battlefield, you get to turn off any permanent on the other side of the board. That includes attacking, blocking, planeswalkers, planeswalkers. I mean that's. That's pretty huge, right? Yeah, any, I mean, anything but lands. So anything with an activated ability but lands, you can detain it. You can just basically freeze it for a turn. Now, the card that I first saw this ability on was the um, the the guild uh, leader or whatever. Not not Asperia. I'm sorry. This is the Archon. This is oh, I believe okay. This was spoiled to be the uh, the the pre-release card for Azorius, and it's Archon of the Triumvirate. Which I'll just read it instead of re- rather than just referencing it. Um, it 
is Archon of the Triumvirate. It's a rare. It costs five white and a blue, so seven. Uh, it's a four-five flyer, and whenever Archon of, Archon of the Triumvirate attacks, detain up to two target non-land permanents your opponent's control. So immediately I think of Frost Titan, right? Mm. Because it's not like it needs to deal damage or it's not <coughs> it's not like combat needs to be over to detain something. You just say, oh, you've got, you know, a flyer in my way. I'll get it out of the way. It can't block. Right. Um, and it, that reminded me a lot of Frost Titan. And this guy does it for, uh, for two guys. So you, you're like, okay, your Planeswalker can't do that. Uh, make your flyer you know, detain your flyer, swing, hit you for four. Like, that seems so sick. I love the the concept, and I love that it's not just something that happens when they attack. Like, this guy, yes, but the, the guy you mentioned, uh, Lev, Lev Sky Knight, ha- has it happen as an enter the battlefield ability. It's a creature human knight. Note, it is not an angel. So right. Restoration Angel could blink this guy, and you could... You know, those of you that love these kind of momentary blink effects and these decks like that, that, you know, I've seen people, uh, I think Ken Burl played a a blink deck, a blue-white blink deck back in in Madison right after uh, Avacyn Restored came out. And this is another guy that fits right into that strategy. Unfortunately, we lose Venser, but... uh, you know. Well, I think Lev Skynight is really interesting, too. Um, and I really only have context for Legacy and, and to a lesser extent, Q, which is Flicker Wisp. And Flicker Wisp has uh, a lot of utility in that you can play him to get your opponent's best blocker out of the way and then swing in. Mm-hmm. And this guy's really aggressive. A three power for three that's evasive that has a relevant ability this guy's this guy's pretty good, and especially if we see some sort of, you know, skies deck or tribal deck, this this could this could see some play. I imagine that having multiple cards with detain on them could become really annoying, especially if you're able to blink them or if there's like a ghost way effect or something you're able to chain them. That you're you're able to keep your opponent off of his attack step, off of his planeswalker activations, and that that that's pretty big. So yeah. And, uh, it's probably worth mentioning that you can target things like signets too, because yeah. it's all you have to do is just target a uh, a non land permanent. So if you do you target a prismatic lens or f flowing chalice or something, or a gilded lotus, your opponent doesn't get to activate it. So yeah, one thing um, if you do happen to be using this with restoration angel, using it along or doing the end of turn restoration angel kind of thing doesn't work as well because it's just until your next turn. So right. You end of their turn, Restoration Angel, blink this guy. It's whatever it is that you're detaining isn't detained for long. Yeah, but right. It's just something to, to think about. Uh, you mentioned signets. There are no sign of signets just yet, but. Uh, Hopefully not on the horizon. <laughs> yeah. We did get a pretty cool artifact manifixer. I mean, I know we want to talk mechanics. Do you want to, do you want to mention Chromatic Lantern or you want to save that for later? I'm going to mention this just for two of my best buddies here in town. Patrick Pittman and Rich Stahersky, who are avid five-color drafters in my cube, who I believe are going crazy for this. But as soon as this card was spoiled out, I got a message from Patrick saying, so, adding this card, which <laughs> this card is a three-drop artifact that says, lands you control have tap add one mana of any color to your mana pool. And then it itself has add one of mana of, your, uh, of any color to your mana pool. So it's a super dark steel ingot, uh, lesser um, coalition co- relic. Coalition relic, 
And, uh, I mean, this, this card's really good. This is good in, in decks trying to hit, like, Phyrexian Obliterator-type mana cost. It's also good in decks trying to hit Sliver Queen-type mana cost. This is going to be an EDH mainstay. Uh, this card's huge. I would, I would definitely be stocking up on these. I, I don't know how far we're going to see this do much in Constructive, but it is worth noting that cards like Vessel of Endless Rest and Manolith have seen play. Uh, Pristine Talisman has seen a lot of play, of course, probably more for the life gain than anything. But this card's this card's got legs. I, I definitely expect this to see some play in the in the coming months. Yeah, I love this. I think um, I think if there's a control deck, I think I mentioned it last week, or or maybe I was talking about it on SCG Live. I can't remember, but you know, <laughs> if, if there's gonna be like a, a five color control deck, this seems like a a, a huge candidate. For, for that deck. I mean, last time we had five-color control, like true, very, uh, very strong version of five-color control, we had Vivid Lands, mm. you know, and um, while this doesn't come into play for free, it's, it seems, it, it sort of ramps you just a little bit from three to five and just fixes all of your mana troubles. It seems like, I, like you said, I don't know. It kind of really depends on the rest of the set. I don't know if it's going to see play in standard, but... Uh, it's on my my short list of cards to consider when when building at this point. Sure, sure, sure. So we could probably talk. I mean, there's so many spoilers. Every one of these cards is noteworthy. Everything that's that's on the spoiler list so far is just so interesting, so dynamic. I, I don't even know like what the chaff is going to look like. Maybe we are, have already seen some of the chaff, but we definitely could fill up a full hour worth of, of discussion. I I think we should. Let's transition over to the topic that uh, I'm most excited to talk about. I really want to talk about this spoiler card because I think that, well, why, why don't we just why don't we just talk about uh, the the qualities of this card? So that we have a Golgari card, we have a Golgari card, and uh, Joey, why don't you why don't you go through the stats of this card? I I, I just want to say the, the card name because this card name is awesome. It's called Slitherhead. Slitherhead. So we, you want to slow roll this? I'll, I'll read them the. Uh, I'll read the flavor text now. Flavor text is the best. <laughs> you definitely got to read the flavor text. So it makes better use of Uncle Draggy's head than he ever did, and that's uh, Pesha, retired blacksmith. It's a quote from Pesha, uh, with a dollar sign for the S. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so Slitherhead apparently making better use of Uncle Draggy's head at least. So that's a good thing. I mean, it's got a picture of a skull. Yeah, with like snakes, sort of like overcoming it, like these tentacle-looking things, and they're like sort of walking it like a uh, like an octopus along the bottom yeah. of the, the ocean. It's really cool looking. Uh, the artwork actually by Greg Staples. He is uh, he's one of my favorites, and uh, I'm glad to glad to see he's returning to Ravnica himself. Um, <laughs> this, although you mentioned it's an octopus, or you mentioned it looks looking like an octopus, it's actually a plant, and it's also. A zombie. So this is Slitherhead, creature, plant, zombie. It's an uncommon. You want to you read something next? Uh, <laughs> just back and forth. You're slow rolling it for Ruben. That, this is for we'll, you, we'll, Ruben. We'll recap it at the end. It, and then it's a hybrid green-black. Just one to cast it. Okay, so so for one mana, you uh, you can't be too too upset that it's just a 1-1. One, one. Oh, it's a 1-1. One, one. Okay. It's, it's a 1-1. One, one. It's a 1-1 one, one for one. And that's it. I mean, 
That's it, guys. One, one for one. Have a plant zombie. Some plants are going to be huge. There's going to be a plant lord and everything. It's going to be awesome. Okay, so the last ability on this card, it has scavenge zero. So for those of you who don't know, the scavenge mechanic, I'll read the, the reminder text. Zero, comma, exile this card from your graveyard. Put a number of plus one, plus one counters equal to this card's power on target creature. Scavenge only, only as a sorcery. So this will put a one plus one plus one counter. So Slitherhead, one hybrid black green for a one one plant zombie with scavenge zero. Yeah, so excellent, like very, very kind of elegantly designed card. Very simple. It's it's an uncommon, as you mentioned. Um, It reminds me a little bit of modular, right? You're like, hey, here's my my one one oh, and when it dies, like later I'm going to make use of it of a plus one plus one counter for it, you know? Um, cause the modular yeah. mechanic was, was sort of that way. Uh, although that happened when the creature died, not whenever you felt like it at a later point in time. Yeah. This one sort of is the only one that really stays true to that. And that it's the, well, the only one that we've seen so far that's a, that's free and probably the only one we will see that's free. Yeah. So getting things for free, uh, as you may know, if you played magic in the last, you know, any time ever, <laughs> is usually a good thing. So Wizards, of course, was very uh, very careful to probably not make this too good. But I, we've had this for a few days now. So it's been about a week since, since we had the spoiler. And uh, let me tell you, it has been a very difficult week. Uh, of course, people know that we have the spoiler card <laughs> and are asking all sorts of questions. And I, of course, can't say anything. So that in itself, I, I got to give props to to people, of course, Sam Stoddard, because he's out at Wizards now, and and he's a buddy of mine that, you know, every time him and I have a conversation, we can't talk about anything. It's 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 like we have to, like, you know, go on the other stuff, we like, you know, video games and, and, and movies and TVs. Talking about magic has to be very out of, like, very high level. <laughs> so uh, I, I've been, I've, I was racking my brain trying to figure out uses for this card, and we didn't have at this point we didn't have the previews from the PAX party, so we had we didn't know there were any hybrid cards. Right. And uh, so I thought this might might be the first hybrid card spoiled, and um, so I thought that, that that might be a big deal. And then of course having the the subtype zombies pretty cool, you know, given that we have Gravecrawler in the format. So I'm trying to think, okay, well how how is this good in the context of, of the zombie deck? And and I was just sort of like you know, racking my brain. And it's really funny, you know, especially when you look at spoiled cards from a new set that have keyworded abilities, context is everything. Yeah. So, you know, it really did, it didn't, didn't feel right within the context of Innistrad, um, Scars of Mirrodin standard. Like I just, I couldn't think of a way like, yeah, of course, you know, pitching it, you know, away to something like a Liliana or something and getting that free plus one plus one counter is cool, but it, it wasn't very good. Um, until a little bit later, um, in the week, of course, I think this was like this morning, we, yeah. we see a card and it, it kind of like makes everything click. And I hate to like spoil another card right back to back to our spoiler card, but I, I think that this really gives some, Give some uh, some depth to to Slitherhead. Yeah, it's and, the old um, chocolate peanut butter thing. Like you know, it's yeah. good by itself, but wow, <laughs> this guy is gonna make Slitherhead. The interactions with, with Slitherhead. Uh, the interactions with Slitherhead 
<laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I could get the word out, uh, I think are just it's it's really exciting. Why don't you go ahead and read it, Matt? Okay, so I'm gonna I'm actually gonna talk about two cards. Oh, okay. Uh, the first one I'm gonna talk about is one that they did spoil this past weekend, which is called Grizzly Salvage, mm. and this card is super cool. It is a black and a green for an instant. You reveal the top five cards of your library. You may put a creature or land card from among them into your hand and put the rest into your graveyard. Into yeah. your graveyard. Instant speed. Impulse for five. Get a creature or land. Everything else goes in the yard. So worst case scenario, this is a self-mill for five. Yeah. But like, you're you would likely, have to hit, Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say you have to hit five sorceries or five, you know, enchantments, right? To, to, to get no value out of this, and I find that highly, highly unlikely. Yeah, but even if you do hit a bunch of a uh, bunch of sorceries or something, maybe your deck is making use of those with something like Snapcaster. But I find that less likely because I think if you're <laughs> playing this card, you're playing it in a deck with with other with a ton of other creatures, and you've got the Golgari mechanic scavenge, which Dumping these guys into the graveyard, it, you're already you can get use out of those guys, even if yeah, you, you uh, they're not the card you put in your hand. And of course, right next to a block that had flashback as a keyworded ability, next to cards like Imperial Rights, Ancient Grudge, uh, even Trackers Instincts, you know this card fits right into Frights. I mean, yeah, it's like another mulchy a- kind of card, really. Yeah, so it, that's, that's, that's a grand slam. So, of course, we see some graveyard interactions. We talked last week about how we really wanted to see a uh, card that was similar to Bloodgast or Gravecrawler because we saw a lot of Golgari things having you sacrifice creatures. Now, we don't have anything like that, but we do have a card that really puts some oomph behind Slithermuse, or maybe Slithermuse puts the oomph be- behind this guy. And this guy is called Lotlith Troll. So... Uh, Joey made the comment before the show that it appears as though Thrun wasn't the last troll. There <laughs> is another troll. This guy is a zombie troll for black-green. He's a 2-1. Okay, so 2-mana, two 2-1, zombie troll. It's a rare. It's a rare. He has trample, and you can discard a creature card from your hand to put a plus-1, one, plus-1 one counter on Law the Troll, and it has black regenerate. That is insane. Yeah. The the interactions with this card, uh, Slitherhead, and then Gravecrawler, as we mentioned. So you've got this guy in play. You discard Slitherhead to uh, to give it a plus one. Now it's a three, two. Gr- discard your Gravecrawler. This guy's a zombie, so hey, I think I'll play Gravecrawler out of my graveyard. I'll scavenge my, uh, my Slitherhead to make this guy now a four, three, and swing. You know, like, that's... Uh, just the interactions just right there are really exciting for, for black green decks or, uh, you know, Golgari or zombie flavored. I, I imagine Golgari and zombies are going to get along really nicely. I mean, like, it's just the fact that, I mean, having trample on it's huge. Getting the, the plus one plus one is huge. But having the regenerate clause on there yeah. is, is what I think really sets this guy apart. I mean, if you look at, and I don't mean to, like, best case scenario this card, but remember, we do have... Woodland Cemetery and Overgrown Tomb in the format now. So we, we have a reliable way to get this guy out on turn two. So if you just – let's say that the only three cards in your hand are Lawless Troll, Gravecrawler, and the Slitherhead, and you play this guy on turn two. Maybe maybe you play another Dork on turn one, 
this guy's a 5-4 by the time you're ready to, to start doing your business. Because you're going to discard your Slither Muse, uh, play, play the scavenging cost, make this guy a 4-3, and then you can discard your Gravecrawler and then play it from the graveyard and then have regeneration mana. I'll be swinging with a 5-4 on turn 3. Yeah, I, I actually I said four three. I completely missed one of the uh, <laughs> one of the pumps there. You're right, and it's these are counters. These aren't. This isn't like until end of turn. This yeah. guy is actually just a five four on the the turn after you play him, uh, which could be as soon as turn three. Like that, just I'm sorry, you play him on turn two. So as soon as turn three, yeah, five four, and that's just with a couple other cards that are not it's not crazy to be playing these other cards especially gravecrawler already sees plays and play in uh in multiples and seems like it would just fit so well and uh i, I get, alongside slitherhead it just seems like such a nice interaction i really really love it so well it's really aggressive and we also have drag mangler which yeah. is a three power three mana haster that uh has a scavenging mechanic as well that, you know, remember this guy, the new troll has trample. Yeah. So playing scavenge cards on him and being able to have regenerate mana is pretty big. You know, vapor snags not going to be in this format anymore. <clears throat> we don't have path to exile or, you know, of course we have cards like oblivion ring, which that, that might just be too slow. So we're going to have to see some more cards in Ravnica, you know, either uh face fetters effects or bounce spells or whatever. Otherwise, I'm going with with uh, Golgari as my my clan of choice. I mean, seeing these cards side by side, it really kind of clicks for me. I mean, I really want to be playing plant zombies. I just hope that there's a another like a blood gas or a grave crawler, and I think that that's just going to drive the whole thing home. Yeah, the the Golgari guild looks just all about just bringing the beats. I think it's, it's so, these guys are just going to be so beefy just with the scavenge mechanic and, and things. So, uh, it's not typically my, my guild, but it still looks exciting to me. And, uh, I'm, I'm impressed with what we've seen so far from Golgari specifically. Um, uh, one, one card I think we, we can't skip is the one planeswalker that was spoiled. Oh, Yes. Yeah, I think we may as well we may as well get get some discussion on it since he he was only spoiled a few days ago. So the, that that card, of course, is a new Jace. Yep, and it's Jace, Architect of Thought. So, <laughs> yeah, and if you if you see the art for this, uh, actually, uh, small side note: go watch the Return to Ravnica preview video that they have on the Wizard site. I'll try to put it in the show notes. It is very cool. Very, very cool. I haven't seen that yet either. I meant to watch it before we recorded, but oh yeah, I forgot yeah. about it for some some reason. I just love the way, like when they've been doing these videos. I think they started doing them in Rise of Eldrazi or something, mm-hmm. and it's just so cool the way that they take these artists' art and animate them. So, like you saw the first time, this sort of clicked for me is when I saw Gideon Jura yeah. like moving, and I'm like, whoa, that's just like too weird to me to see. A card that, like, I'm, I'm like very used to seeing it stationary, not do anything, and it's, it's moving all over the page and stuff. So it's, it's cool. But um, so Jace, Architect of Thought, two and two blue for a four loyalty planeswalker. All right, Pr- pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's plus one. Is until your next turn, whenever a creature an opponent con- controls attacks, it gets minus one, minus zero until end of turn. So protects protecting protecting himself, ramping right. to 
five loyalty counters on the first first time you activate it. Mm-hmm. The second ability, minus two, reveal the top three cards of your library. An opponent separates them into two piles. Put one pile under your hand and the other on the bottom of your library in any order. So we have a little mini impulse-ish factor fiction type thing going on here. So if you play him on the first turn, it'll go down to two loyalty. And then his ultimate ability, which this is this is really cool. For each player, search that player's library for a non-land card and exile it. Then that player shuffles into her library. You may cast those cards without paying their mana costs. So a super bribery yeah. of sorts at minus eight. Yeah, when I first saw it, I, I saw it as bribery that could take, you know, a planeswalker or something. And then I realized that it's not for each opponent, it's for each player. So not only do you get the best permanent, uh, I'm sorry, the best non-land card <laughs> in your opponent's deck, but you get the best non-land card out of your deck as well. So I, that could be something huge. Like, we don't, we haven't seen anything like ultimatums or anything, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, we have seen something like I know this was this was something I think Ruben uh, tweeted last night was a uh, world spine worm, which I'm you know if look it up, uh, but it's basically a fi- I think it's a fifteen fifteen for twelve. Um, it's eleven mana fifteen fifteen trample, and, and, and it leaves behind three five five tramplers when it dies, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there it is. You didn't need to look it up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, can you imagine? Like, oh, I'll take this guy. You know, he's only about the size of Emrakul. Um, but I think that just the the ultimates really cool. The ultimates are always pretty cool abilities. But I want to talk about the first two abilities. Um, first one, you drop him down. He's on four. You, if you plus him, you put him up to five. But it's kind of it's ostensibly six because your opponent's creature, if they just have one creature, it's getting minus one, minus zero. So they need something that has six power to to kill it, right? Because it would lose it would be minus one, it would be five power to to swing right into Jace. Right. So right. and that's if they just have one guy. Across mul- yeah, across right. multiple guys it doesn't even work. Like right, you have exactly. to have like eight power worth of two guys. Yeah, it's and <laughs> it's actually the more creatures they have, the worse for them. And at this point in the game, uh, I mean, if you're playing it on turn four, the best they've got is, you know, may- maybe a 5-5. Five, five. You know, usually for four mana, if your opponent, if you're on the uh, on the draw, your opponent played a four mana 5-5 five, five and didn't scavenge, you know, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> uh, you know, they've, they've just got a 5-5, five, five, and so even the five power dude isn't going to kill Jason one hit. Um, it seems like they, they're going to need something pretty beefy to take him out uh, at that point. And then just having the the ability to get the best card in your top three, uh, and sometimes a bonus card depending on what your opponent decided to do. Mm. Like, that seems seems pretty cool, and uh, and you can do it twice as long as he didn't get hit. Uh, I'm I'm really excited about this card. It's, it's Jace. I, I kind of would be. Um, I'm excited <laughs> to, to play with it. It is. I have actually uh, uh, been thinking a lot about how I can use this guy, but I have to wait until the the rest of the set comes out to see what else I can do. But I, it just looks like a lot of fun to play. I'm excited about it. So what yeah. are your, what are your thoughts on it? I I think it's fantastic. I think. It's really well designed. I think this one, you there's no denying that, that that this is a good planeswalker. It does everything you want a planeswalker to do. It protects itself. It generates some level card advantage, and it has a big ultimate. So this will this will fit right in alongside like Timio. 
I mean, having having this next to Tamio feels a lot like well, well, any of the good planeswalkers next to Tamio because Tamio sort of says, well, if I, you can kill the planeswalker, but you can't kill it alongside of another protection ability or a guy. That's why she's so good alongside Wrath of God. Mm-hmm. So I like this guy in the same way that if you Wrath, you can start just minus twoing to just to refill your hand. You could just go full value and be like, I'm just going to take every two pile. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's really good. I'm I'm really excited to play with them. I, I've been on a Tamiyo kick. I've been playing a lot of her and pretty much all my standard decks. Blue White Control. Uh, when I was playing Battle Wits, I was playing Forever. When I when I was playing the Rug deck, and everybody's just playing like Reduke Stock Rug List, I'm playing up to four Tamiyo between main deck and sideboard. I'm just a huge fan, and I think that this plays right in with what you want to be doing uh, with Tamiyo. So I mean, can you they, imagine playing Tamiyo Jace in uh, Tamiyo and Jace in an Azorius deck that you're like detain that tap that and whatever's attacking is smaller? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's like completely lock people down. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good uh, a good way to use those cards. Yeah. So and because you know we don't have day judgment, so we may have to be starting to get a little bit creative on how we deal with creature swarms in uh, Return to Ravnica standards. So. Um, one note before we transition topics, uh, Joey and I were talking a little bit before the cast. We think that, that, that this standard with, with, based on the cards that we've seen spoiled, these cards are really deep. Like they're really interesting. Each one you could look at and potentially say, Hey, you know what? I could design a deck around this card or I could, I could do something with this. I even like unassuming cards that you know, don't really do a lot are really good. If, if these are filler, like Grim Roustabout. It's just a 2-2 dork. You talked about him on uh, – you did a, a comeback episode of your MTG Taps. You guys talked about him briefly. Yep. You know, I, I think that if that's chaff, if that's the dredge skeletons this set, I'm jumping up and down. Like I can't wait to dig in and see what this does to standard because I loved, absolutely loved Kamigawa Ravnica standard. I think it was the deepest, awesomest standard, uh, standard environment that's ever been around. I think there were more viable decks than anything. So I think – this is going to lend itself very well to a good standard. So anyway, let's, let's transition over to a totally completely different format. It has nothing to do with Ravnica, but we did talk about it a little bit earlier, and that's the Magic Players Championship that happened this past weekend. feels like ages ago, doesn't it? Like there's been so much excitement since then. Yeah, yeah, that's, it does feel like that. And also they did it in the middle of the week, uh, and that kind of threw me for a loop as much as I'd love to listen to the – to the uh, cast on my phone. It was like, it was just really weird seeing magic being played out like on a Wednesday night. So yeah, I, I liked it. I was actually going to say like, what did you think of that? Because it, it was different. It's we're usually getting events on the weekends, maybe a Friday, but uh, you know, this was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And for me, it worked out perfectly because it coincided great with my work schedule where I just had it on at work while I was working. I had it on another window or on my, my iPad or something playing to the side. So I, I love that. It made the work day go by. Oh, yeah. Faster. It made me excited yeah. to go to work. I'm like, I have to go to work, but I get to watch the Players' Championship. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, I don't mind going to work at all this week. Let's be honest. I'm sure Wizards did it just so they could go to PAX over the weekend. Yeah. But, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I actually do believe that. They probably scheduled it so that it didn't interfere with all their Return to Ravnica uh, stuff that they're doing. Also, I think scheduling it at that time allows a lot of the pros to go to the events, and that's really good press too. When you see, 
you know, guys like Owen and Kibler and whatnot, you know, participating in these uh, events, I think that lends some lends some credibility to the to the marketing efforts. So I, I really liked it, but I I, I think that the Players Championship mm-hmm. just just quick quick and easy it far exceeded my expectations for the event. Yeah, I but I thought that from start to finish, from the formats that they highlighted. All the way to the players that they that they chose to do the 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 way that they broadcasted it, the coverage team that they had on hand. I think the whole thing was a slam dunk, and uh, I, it, was, it was just awesome. So, I mean, what do you think? Did did, did you have a good time watching it? Yeah, I uh, the the formats, of course, were uh, for those of you who may not know, uh, Cube, M13, Sealed, and Modern. Mm. So uh, I wasn't as keen on the M- M13 sealed, but that's just my, pref- you know, my my preferences, I guess. Uh, Cube is something that I haven't done a lot of, but it's a lot more interesting to me because of the quality of the cards that are seeing play. So mm. I, I was excited about that. And Modern, I was just super pumped about. I feel like that format is just sitting there like Mega Man's arm charging up. It's got so much potential. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, I feel like this format... Looks like it, it's just gonna be really cool. I mean, I, I already think it's really cool, um, but it's it's in its infancy still. I mean, we this time last year was when Samuel Estrada was winning the first Modern Pro Tour. So we're, I mean, it's what the terrible twos. Is that where we are? Maybe not infancy, but right, <laughs> you know, right. it's it's not even really a toddler yet. Uh, the the format is just super exciting, and I love watching and I love seeing what the pros came up with. There were zero combo decks. And the 16 decks that these guys uh, brought along, um, I think, uh, you know, all of it was pretty exciting to watch. But there were, like, Zoo decks, Jun decks, and then, uh, what was it? Not just, not Sushin Kuo. Um, well, sh- well, go ahead. I, I'm trying to think of the... It sounds like you you know where I'm... Are you talking about Yu Yu's? Yeah, Yu it was Yu Yu Watanabe. That's right. It had, like, a blue-white kind of... Or wait a minute, Yuya had Jund, right? Was I, have to, I have to pull it up. Yeah, now I'm getting confused. Yuya, it was Yuya Watanabe versus Shalta Yasuoka in the finals. Shalta had the most innovative deck of the tournament. I think he was the only one playing it, where I think they kept calling it um, Eternal Command because Eternal Command, yeah. it, looped, it could loop Eternal Witness and Cryptic Command. It was basically, a, a, I guess, a bant or... A, it was it was only three colors, right? It was. I'm trying to remember. I know it had uh, Eternal Witness, Snapcaster. Maybe it didn't have white. Now I'm getting confused because I don't have it right in front of me. But either way, it made great use of Aether Vial, and I think that was the really the key card in the deck because he's able to use Aether Vial to vial in creatures like Snapcaster and Vendillion Click, and Eternal Witness, and which are all pretty decent clocks. Mm. Uh, while at the same time uh, keeping his mana open for cards like Cryptic Command and, you know, any kinds of counterspell. So he's going, you know, Cryptic Command and uh, I'll violin Eternal Witness, get back my Cryptic Command. Like, he just yeah, puts you on a lock. Yeah, he's pretty much just, just keeping his vials at two and three. He did have Huntmaster of the Fells, which is sort of like the techie part, uh, which if you violin a Huntmaster, you it doesn't actually count as playing it, so you can flip it at the end of turn. So the deck itself was very much an Aether Vial, um, I won't call it like a tempo deck, but it was it was an Aether Vial deck, and you're right, it grinded cards like Kitchen Finks and Eternal Witness, and being able to, to abuse their comes-into-play abilities, 
and re-grab the cryptic commands and all that. It was a very, very cool deck. Um, I just want to comment a little bit on the makeup of the 16 decks. You know, you mentioned not seeing combo. I think that that's not a huge surprise here, given that, you know, we have a lot of, uh, you know, it's a very small tournament. There's not expected to be a lot of people taking any sort of off-the-wall decks. You really want to play like a tried-and-true deck. And I think that by that logic, a lot of people are thinking, okay, well, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of Snapcaster decks, a lot of Temple decks, a lot of um, a lot of Zoo decks, a lot of Jund and and uh, the Red, White, Blue Delver list that we've been seeing a lot of. And we did see that. I mean, we saw most of the field was made up of these decks. We saw a few decks sort of deviate from that. Uh, but the the big stat that I noticed, I I took every deck and and looked at the top three most played cards, and the results are pretty pretty telling here. Out of the 16 players, there were 13 of them playing Lightning Bolt, four full copies. That's 52 copies of Lightning Bolt. So that's uh, that's over 80% of the field playing four copies of Lightning Bolt in the main deck. Um, the other two are Tarmogoyf. 13 of the 16 players in the Players' Championship were playing Tarmogoyf. There were... Ten, uh, 10 or 11, I believe, they were playing four copies, and then a few that were playing three. And then finally, 10 players out of the 16 players in the Players' Championship were playing Snapcaster Mage. So just a, just a testament to, I mean, I think, I think that is modern. I think that we should expect to see those cards at the top of the heap in most modern top eights at this point. And I think the outliers are going to be decks like Affinity, uh, control decks, some combo decks that sneak in. Of course, anytime a storm deck comes in, it, it mucks with those numbers a bit. But even some storm decks, like the Ascension versions, are able to have access to Lightning Bolt. Um, so, I think that this is this is a good, healthy sixteen decks to see. Like looking across them, like there's nothing that's there's nothing degenerate. They're fairly interactive decks. They're all piloted by good players, so the games are extremely fun to watch. So. I mean, I'd say, you know, as much as I hate seeing, like, I, you would probably look at this and say that this was a stagnant metagame. I actually think that it's actually the opposite. The fact that that all these players decided to bring these decks and that, you know, there were so many lightning bolts and creature decks and interactive decks in the top decks, I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think there's probably still a little bit of room for innovation there. I think there's probably still some room to to kind of get a little more juice out of the turnip and 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 innovate a little bit more, but I don't think we should have expected any innovation at this tournament. Yeah, I think uh, I think th- those three cards you mentioned, Lightning Bolt, Tarmogoyf, and uh, Snapcaster Mage, I think it, it's an interesting thing to look at those three cards specifically and go, okay, one of these was printed in Alpha, uh, another one was printed in the last block, Snapcaster Mage, and then the Tarmogoyf was printed in between, and you say, this is modern. Uh-huh. Cards from all over Magic's history, obviously Lightning Bolt printed more recently than alpha as well that's why it's in modern but i think it's cool because you look at these cards and say you know this is this is this format it's got it touches on kind of the whole uh whole i guess gamut of different kinds of cards over magic's history i kind of love that about it um Mm -hmm. another Mm -hmm. uh another pair of players finkel and kibler brought a blue white mid-range deck which uh that's the one i was trying to think of before i started talking about uh shalda's deck which is i think why i was getting confused and calling shalda's deck uh a bant deck shalda's deck was actually a rug deck 
he was one of the players playing four copies of Lightning Bolt, and he also he played all three of those cards: four Lightning Bolt, three Tarmogoyf, and uh, and four Snapcasters. So he had the whole thing. Um, I really feel like his deck was the most innovative. You, you know, it. I know you said you know maybe it wasn't a lot of you weren't expecting a lot of innovation and maybe there wasn't as much or there wasn't very much but I feel like this is this is something people weren't really playing um, and seeing Aether Vial work so seamlessly in this kind of strategy was uh, was very impressive to me but yeah I I did want to touch on Finkel and Kibler's deck which was just kind of blue white uh, blue white control blue white more blue white mid range. Mm-hmm. Playing, uh, making very good use of Restoration Angel, another card yeah. printed literally, you know, five months ago or something, less than five months ago. Uh, Geist of Saint Traft. You've got basically the the all stars of Standard with some of the best of the best along, you know, Kitchen Finks, Vendillion Click, uh, and then Cryptic Command, Path to Exile. This deck was a lot of fun to watch. And the cool thing about it being just sixteen players and these guys showing up with uh, with these these kinds of decks, like. You every time you were watching, you were watching not only insane play skill, but you got to, you know, if somebody's like, "Hey, did you see Kibler's deck that him and Finkel are playing?" You know, "Oh no!" And you just turn it on, and pretty much within an hour, you'd see one of them featured mm-hmm. on camera. Yeah, uh, because there was just such a small group of players, the the quality of of matches was just incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, it was everything that I wanted. Uh, in watching a magic broadcast at the pro level. I think that, of course, watching Cube was a dream come true for me. I was literally giddy with excitement watching players draft Cube and play the Cube games out and hear such admiration for the format and hear people from Wizards talk about how, you know, they had like Max McCall on and, of course, Zach Hill was talking about Cube and, you know, they have a vested interest in seeing Cube as a format be something that's supported. So as somebody who's really into Cube, that gives me a ton of hope in, in seeing more advancements in, you know, Cube uh, releases and box sets and tournaments and those kinds of things. So I, I was really pleased with that. And, uh, of course, one thing that was really cool is, you know, there were like almost 10,000 people watching at one point. I think that was maybe the highest. I think the highest that I saw was about 8,000 and we've always been, you know, at Encatecha, we've always been a group of guys that have been big proponents of seeing Magic as like an entertainment platform. And I think that this sort of takes it to a new level, like, you know, being able to see the best of the best of the best. I, it was cooler than watching a pro tour, I think. I, I don't know, like they, they did interviews and asked each of the pros, like what it would mean to win and, and, um, and it was pretty cool to, to hear a lot of them say, like, this this would be cooler than winning a pro tour. And uh, so I, I really hope we're going to do – at some point, we're, we're going to get a couple people on. I've got my eye on them. We're, we're, in, we're in talks to hopefully have them on the show. But uh, we want to do a discussion on, you know, pro play and sort of how, how we can – we as, like, a community can maybe talk Wizards into a fourth PT, continue to, to promote the – players championship type events. I love to see participation at that level. You want to see your parent company, like the person, the, the, the company who sort of enables your entire uh, livelihood and, and, and all that support you in a way. And, and I think this tournament and tournaments like uh, the world player, uh, the magic world cup, those are, those are a step in the right direction. So 
that's sort of my final thoughts. I, we, I wish we had a little bit more time to talk about these legacy deck lists uh, to transition away from this um, and, and over to Star City Games open in Minneapolis this past weekend. I had a ton of fun watching the legacy games play out. And uh, I just wanted to comment. I think this is one of the most interesting legacy top 16s that I think that we've ever seen in a, in a legacy top 16. Yeah, it's uh, it's got some some surprises in there. I think the main one to me, and I kind of referenced it earlier, was this mono blue tempo deck that uh, Brandon Semero played into the uh, into the top eight. It's just, I mean, it's it's mono blue tempo. It had four copies of Jace's Phantasm, and the you know I, I turned it on late Sunday night and saw Jace's Phantasm just holding <laughs> off uh, holding off Delver of Secrets and Nimble Mongoose. It's just like. Huh. You know, you guys are just too little. You know, if you want to see a big one drop, I'll show you a big one drop. Yeah, I right. Two of them. I saw, you know, Ninja of the Deep Hours, three copies of that. Like, seeing these cars, seeing it play uh, in Legacy is just exciting. Um, and and I uh, I congratulate uh, Brandon Semero for making top eight with a list like this. Yeah, it, it, I mean, if you look at individual lists in this top 16, I mean – the, just the sheer range of creativity and coming up with a lot of this is just awesome. I mean, I'll, I'll just go, I'm just going to rifle a few of these off and you'll be like, wow, I can't believe that there's that many. So we have Junk, No Intel, Blue White Stoneblade, Goblins, Maverick, Hive Mind, Scape Shift, which I want to talk about in a second, the Mono Blue Temple list from Brandon Summerall. Then going down through the top 16, we have Rug Delver, Esper Stoneblade, Storm, Rug Delver, Sneak and Show. A couple of Merfolk and another Rug Delvers. So, of course, we still see a pretty good showing for Stoneblades and Rug Delvers and, and Mavericks, sort of the staples of the format. But we see a lot of really cool lists sneak their way in there. Um, you, you know, we had Omnitel a couple times on camera. The Noatel deck, I think that that is a super cool deck. You, of course, seeing Cabal Therapy and Academy Rector in any list together, you know, makes me happy. But this, this this one didn't play the uh, this one was the other version that doesn't play Academy Rector. Oh, okay. This okay. is the, the I think the Petals of Insight version. Um, although wait, it doesn't play Petals of Insight. Oh, it does. It plays one in the board. Okay, but yeah, this is the more the Storm version of uh, sure, sure. No Intel. But I prefer the Rector version myself. But you know, not out of experience, but just from actually watching both. I think the the Rector version is a little bit uh, more consistent. But still, like this, it's this strategy is awesome, and I love. That players are uh, are playing it, and I want to see I want to see more of it. I want to see how far it can go. Yeah. So, uh, just a final thought on the on these legacy lists. This Scape Shift deck is really cool in that it plays like you said. You were talking about Restoration Angel and Modern. This plays cards that were printed literally months ago. Uh, it has two copies of Thragdusk in the main deck, but this this list is just like crazy. It's got Burning Wish and Green Sun Zenith and Scape Shift and Valakut and Thragtusk, Veteran Explorer. I mean, it's just just go look at it. It looks like you just kind of mash all these cards together and sort of just bleh. like just hope like everything comes together. But I feel like every card has synergy with every every other card in the deck. Like it's just it looks like a really fun deck to play, but. Uh, I, I was very pumped to see this this top sixteen. I really wanted to to um, make sure that we at least highlighted that so that you guys can go check out these lists. I still think you know we just talked about modern a little bit. I still 
Legacy is still probably my favorite format aside from probably Cube and Standard when Standard's really good. I think that it offers a lot to new players to be able to sort of learn the history of the game and also be able to play, you know, some good magic, some good fun magic. A lot of it can be uninteractive, but most of the time it's pretty interactive and uh, and pretty dynamic. And I just, you know... I just I, I had had to get that out there, but uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think I think uh, Legacy still my favorite. Modern has a lot of potential to uh, to overtake that, um, but I don't I don't know. I'm still a big fan of Legacy, and I, as I said to someone fairly recently, Standard fluctuates for me, where it sometimes is my favorite format, and then other times is my least favorite constructed format. But uh, but Legacy seems to be the most consistent uh, consistent favorite for me. Yeah, I think it's at least the most fun to watch for me. So I'm I, the the best thing that ever happened in my Sunday afternoons was Star City Games doing the open series on <laughs> right. camera. I I remember the, the first like few months I would actually go into work, and put it up on on a, a computer next to my computer, and it would just like make working on Sunday just like nothing. So I, I still kind of do that. I'll usually put it on the big screen now, but it's uh it's a ton of fun. But um. Of course, we we were sad that that Ruben couldn't join us this week. This week, he he uh, he had a lot going on with the past weekend doing the the cyborg and coverage for Star City Games Minneapolis. But he will definitely be back next week. And um, you can follow us all on Twitter. Joey's name is at Affinity for Blue. I'm at K Stube. Ruben is at Mox R E U B Y. And the show can be followed at at In Contention. And, uh, Joey, anything coming up that uh, anybody should know about? Any any cool stuff you got going on? Oh, I did want to mention I did do a, uh, a one-shot episode of Yo! MTG Taps with uh, with Big Head Joe and Michael J. Flores joined us. And uh, that is available now. It just went up today, uh, Tuesday, on Star City. So you can check that out for those of you guys who uh, who were fans of the show. We figured we'd, we'd come back together, uh, reunite to kind of talk a little bit about Mike's new project, uh, the official Miser's Guide. So we talk a bit about that and yeah. some Ravnica stuff, and we get to hear about you know the adventures of Big Head Joe in Texas. So <laughs> check nice. that out if you uh, if you want to uh, hear about that. Very cool. Yeah. So uh, we have one one thing coming up next week that's going to be really really fun. We are unveiling a project that we've been working on with someone in the community for quite a long time. That. Uh, you won't want to miss. So definitely check out next next week's episode. And until until next week, we are in contention. 